Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. This is podcast number 36. And if you guys take a look back in your feed, you'll see that podcast 35 was an interview with the jazz saxophonist Murray James. I've known him since, geez, 2013. And he is a an excellent player, excellent jazz player. He's a music educator. He's about to take a job over at NYU Shanghai, which is a really prestigious role that he's going to be taking. So it was great to talk to him and talk to him about his experience of learning Chinese since 2008, I believe is what he said. So very well worth listening to that podcast and very well worth thinking about what is fluency? Because that was a conversation that came up in the podcast because Murray surprised me when he said, I don't consider myself fluent. And I've seen Murray speak Chinese. He speaks very well. And so I thought, hmm, this is interesting to explore. So we explored that a bit on the podcast. And I would recommend, as I thought more about it, that any of you who are thinking about what does fluency mean, uh, you might want to consider that it's all about what borders you draw around uh, the frame. So if you say fluency as it comes to ability to get the things that you need within a daily life context, you know, you might be able to reach fluency way sooner than in any specialized field. And I believe that Murray brought up uh, Brendan from Pop-Up Chinese, who's very good with Chinese literature, and he can read Chinese literature and then have conversations of meaningful depth with Chinese scholars about that Chinese literature. And I would look at that and say, okay, within the frame of Chinese literature, uh, Brendan is fluent. And he must have been fluent in the daily life Chinese in order to even start playing the game called fluency in Chinese literature. But I wouldn't say that if you don't know anything about Chinese literature, that has anything to do with your fluency in Chinese as a whole. And the reason why is because there's no reason why you should particularly go into Chinese literature. Chinese literature is just one of many specializations you could take. You could decide that after you've built your daily life, uh, is what you would call that, the daily, day-to-day -day, uh, Chinese, that you should go in any particular direction. Like maybe you want to go into auto mechanic vocabulary and become incredibly fluent within that frame. And so, it, but it's still though, I love Murray's attitude about it because that attitude keeps you motivated constantly because you're never going to see yourself as done. You're going to be like, oh, I have so much more to learn. How much better could I get at reading Chinese literature or Chinese books at least? I mean, you could just say reading in general. And so, you know, because for example, I really like to listen to the Luo Ji Sui podcast by uh, Luo Zhenyu. And he is uh, a guy who runs a podcast. It's all about kind of intellectual ideas, economics, how to run a business, how to be an entrepreneur, how to be a good manager. And they're very well thought out, but they're not particularly literature. They're usually nonfiction. And so I become more and more fluent within that frame, but that's, you know, obviously not literature. So it's kind of, I get why literature is something that would naturally be associated with fluency because it's almost like the most advanced form of the language itself. But I think that if you can be fluent in your daily context and be able to read the basics of what you're going to see day to day, then that's far more than you need to be able to choose your own specification and speciality uh, in the language. And then when you start learning things, other things that aren't directly related to Chinese, using Chinese, that's a great feeling because you're basically learning something that's unrelated, but you're using a different operating system to do so. And that's quite a satisfying feeling. All right. So a couple other things. One is that, you know, 
several weeks ago, we decided to do a bit of a new Instagram campaign. Uh, and this was inspired by our social media manager, Belinda. She's uh, been doing a great job for us and, um, and Luke. And they did some research and they figured out, okay, we can do some phrases and some HSK words and post them on Instagram. And so uh, these will be the types of things to get people interested in how Chinese works. And the phrases of the day are basically the conversation connectors, which is something that I'm going to be sending all of you guys very soon. We're still working out a few kinks with it to make sure they're unlocked at the right levels of the Mandarin Blueprint method. But the conversation connectors are these sort of short phrases that are very useful in conversation and can help you find what you need to say, uh, give you an extra few moments to let your brain catch up with what you're trying to say and find the vocabulary you're looking for. And this uh, campaign has surprisingly done really, really well. And our Instagram has gone way up in followers. And I realized one of the great things about this, because I don't really use Instagram. I didn't have an Instagram account uh, before Mandarin Blueprint, and I had to make one to manage the Mandarin Blueprint account. So I wasn't really used to how it works, but the fact that you press play on the video and then it repeats, the video repeats, means it's great for shadowing. So go over to our Instagram, check out the phrase of the day, and uh, you can see the um, play buttons. Just hit the play button and you can practice your shadowing with uh, Jerry. Jerry did the recordings for all those. So there's these repeated recordings of a Chinese phrase, and it's great for your pronunciation. So I'd highly recommend going over to our Instagram and checking that out. Um, all right, so the first customer comment I wanna go into today is actually an email we received from a gentleman named Brad. And I wanted to talk about this right at the front of the podcast because this is exactly how I felt when I started using mnemonics to learn characters. He has some misgivings about using mnemonics to learn characters, and I'm going to read out his email. But I just wanted to say before we get started, <laughs> this email jumped out to me because I was like, oh, yeah, I had so many of these same thoughts when I was first starting. So I really empathized a lot with the uh, standpoint of Brad. So let's see. Brad says, I agree that mnemonics are faster and more memorable, is a faster and more memorable approach to learning Chinese characters. I also realize that at some point with enough repetition, especially if you can be immersed in the characters in daily life, you will know the character without needing to recall the mnemonic. That's all correct. Okay, cool. However, having tried two or three different mnemonic systems, they all tend to break down after a certain number of characters. In the Mandarin Blueprint method, the sequence of recall is one. Look at the character and try to dissect it into props, which themselves get a bit abstract after a while. Two, then try to remember where have I seen those props in a movie, i.e., which actor was using those props where. Three, then try to remember one of 55 male-slash-female real-slash-fake people and what those distinctions mean with a modified pinion table. I was already very familiar with the standard table. To me, the very unnatural part of the blueprint method is using props as the trigger for remembering an actor and set. Who remembers a real movie by thinking about the props? What, what am I missing and what advice do you suggest for getting over this hump? I'm only a character 37 and I'm already growing weary of the random abstract ways to cobble together props into movies from later in the email. Uh, this is uh, he sent an, I sent him a quick response and he sent another email clarifying. 
The number of props for individual character components may be challenging, but at least they make visual sense. For example, a hook, a razor blade, whatever. What gets especially frustrating and confusing is using a prop for a character or combined components. In other words, a rooster might remind me of Daybreak, but a rooster doesn't look anything like the characters slash components. It makes the mnemonic itself abstract. All this is fine in the beginning because you still use rote memory to overcome these idiosyncrasies in the system, but as the number of props that don't look anything like the components grows, to me this is where it breaks down. Thanks for listening. So Brad, great questions, great way of thinking through uh, how all of this works. And so uh, I think I'll take, there's a few different ways that I could respond to this uh, question, but I thought that I would start by just saying that, you know, as a general point, you're still in phase one of the course, which means that you haven't yet gotten a wide enough angle on how this is going to relate to the words and then later the sentences and how that will solidify your knowledge of these different aspects of the characters. So there is some degree of you're too early to be able to gain the perspective necessary to see how it all fits into the larger whole, but that's fine. It doesn't change the fact that at the moment you're feeling frustrated and confused. So it's like we need to um, make sure that we clarify a few things about the process. So what you said here was, in the Mandarin Blueprint method, the sequence of recall is one, look at the character and try to dissect it into props. And so this is, I mean, I'm not sure if why you think this is the first step. I mean, I'm not saying that this couldn't be the first step for someone, but for me, the first step is always, where am I? What room am I in? That always feels like the first step because from there, you've already established a, an emotional context. You've established a visual context. We're very good at 3D spatial imaging. And that it's like imagining two props, I guess, in the white space of the matrix in like the movie where there's two props there. You could do that. Um, but I tend to always put the set first. Right, And then the set, of course, has a simple uh, sound mnemonic to remember which of the sets it is. And there's only 13 anyway. So you could even, if you wanted to, you could rote memorize those. Um, now, then I usually think of the actor. And remembering the actors is um, probably the easiest aspect of this method because we're incredibly good at remembering faces. We're even better at remembering faces than we are remembering places. So if you imagine you know, your uncle standing in the bedroom of your second apartment, it's not really too difficult to start from that point. So once you have that, you have the tone because of the room and the set, then you have the actor, and then you have the um, uh, opinion, initial and, opinion initial and opinion final via the actor and the set. So that from that point, that's when I introduced the props. And you've already introduced a level of emotional significance by the person being there who you'll have some type of relationship with and some awareness of what their personality is like and the epoch of your life that that particular set represents. So, you know, my first apartment in Chengdu would have been a time when I was really studying a lot at university and it wasn't a very nice apartment and, you know, it was kind of dingy, but I was like, no, I was fine. I'm just going to work really hard in this period of time of my life. And there's kind of a, an epoch to that. Or I go back to my childhood home and there's all sorts of different, uh, completely different emotional context there. So before you even bring in the props, You've already established a relationship with somebody, you've established an emotional context, and then you bring in the props. So if you start to do it that way, it might help a little bit with making the uh, scenes a bit more entertaining. Now, um, 
you know, as for the question of dissecting the props, I mean, that's why we try to help as much with it as possible uh, by suggesting them directly. And of course, now we've had over, um, I believe it's 750 prop suggestions from the uh, audience as a whole from Mandarin Blueprint. So, you know, also make sure you check the comment section. Maybe somebody had a prop suggestion that is better uh, for you than the one that we suggested. Now, you said, um, to me, the very unnatural part of blueprint method is using props as the trigger for remembering an actor and set. And this is what I'm saying. Like, I don't know why they should be the trigger for remembering an actor and set. Like, um, obviously, it sounds like you might be referring to the comprehension Anki card. That So there's two types of Anki cards. There's the Anki card that is the production Anki card. That has the keyword on the front and the pinion, and you're supposed to write the character. That's the more important card. If you don't do the comprehension cards, you'll still probably remember the character. So that card is based on the meaning of the character and then the pinion triggering you to remember the props. And the comprehension card is less important. So we put the comprehension card there because people wanted it. They said, I want to have one that has the character on the front, and I'm supposed to remember the meaning and pronunciation. So we said, okay, sure, we'll give it to you. But if you wanted to suspend all of the comprehension cards for the make of movies, uh, for the uh, actual character learning cards, that's fine. I never used them when I was learning Chinese. Uh, I always used the production card only. And again, the production card is front of the card, English and pinion, and you're supposed to write down the character and then check. So that would be the opposite. That would be the meaning, actor, and set triggering the props. And so the meaning, of course, is the movie itself. It's like the plot of the movie. And then the... Uh, the props or the actor and set are more the most visually obvious things. So if you're trying to have the props trigger your actor and set, it's no wonder you would find that a bit weird. I totally get that. Um, so you could try switching it around. Start from the actor and set and then see if that can trigger the props. Now, what am I missing and what advice do you suggest for getting over this hump? I'm only at character 37 and I'm already growing weary of the random abstract ways to cobble together props into movies. So... Um, first of all, the only, I mean, saying that it's random is not really accurate because, uh, of course the characters themselves do have meaning. The components have meaning from, that, that derives from Chinese, but the meaning itself is not independent Chinese. It's like it's, or, or it is independent of Chinese. It's like Chinese mapped on these certain character components to represent this meaning. But of course, the meaning is also represented in your own personal history, things that have happened to you. So you've had, you've seen a dog bone before, you've looked at a hook, you've seen movies that involve uh, some type of a daybreak or rooster or, you know, that these, t or you've heard roosters actually in your real life. These are not random connections. They're all surrounding a meaning. And you've got the Chinese that surrounds that meaning and your own personal experience. And what the Hanza movie method is doing is saying, connect through the meaning from your personal experience to the Chinese conception of it. So the randomness to it, I mean, there's a level of randomness in the sense that you've never learned Chinese before, but it's not like those two aspects you're trying to connect are random. But the point you make about growing weary. So this is um, something that I get. I mean, no matter what, when you're doing a long project like this and you're not sure if it's working, you'll grow weary really quickly. So what I'm taking from this is like, how could we make it clearer that what you're doing is working at this stage in the course? But you have to ask yourself compared to what? 
weary compared to if you were doing it by rote. Well, I don't think you can avoid weariness. Like if you feel weary with this, then I don't think you're going to be able to avoid weariness at all because um, the other methods for learning the characters this way are basically just write it over and over. And I mean, that sounds like one of the most wearisome things I can imagine. Now, I think that part of your weariness almost definitely is that you're about to have a breakthrough with the method. That's almost always what happens. It's like, and that's why I always recommend to people, if you hit a point where you feel despondent about the uh, course and you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm, a, if this is the right way to learn things, then what I would recommend is that you push through at least three times that, that happens. Now, if that happens to you three times within the first hundred characters, then maybe it's not for you. But if it happens one or two times, I would highly recommend pushing through because it's very likely that you're just on the precipice of a breakthrough. Uh, and the reason I, I say that from personal experience, almost every time that I felt frustrated with Chinese, like a day or two later, I felt like there was new connections made in my brain that made so much of what was happening before make more sense. So that's uh, the first thing I would recommend about that. And um, so the continuing on, you said the number of props for individual character components may be challenging, but at least they make visual sense. What gets especially frustrating and confusing is using a prop for a character or combined components. In other words, a rooster might remind me of Daybreak, but a rooster doesn't look anything like the character slash components. It makes the mnemonic itself abstract. And so, this point, um, I mean, obviously, I'm not sure how you're distinguishing abstract because it's like, this is all abstract. I mean, we're making up entire scenes in our brain. Uh, now we're trying to make it up sometimes for concrete meanings like spoon. But regardless, we're going to have to make up uh, scenes that involve abstraction. But like, this is, if you have abstraction, the best thing you can do is turn that abstraction into a specific object or into a specific person. Like if you say, okay, the letter H, well, that's a, a, an abstraction or the letters HU, what an abstraction. But if you imagine Harry Potter standing there for HU, it's like that is turned an abstraction of random letters that have nothing to do with material reality necessarily into something you can imagine right in front of you, right? A person with like, you know, I mean, obviously it's a fictional character, but somebody who you could imagine touching and being fl flesh, right? So um, the rega regarding the question of what about the props that represent the meaning uh, versus the props that actually look like what the character component is. Uh, so yeah, of course, this is a common uh, issue or common trope that comes up with the props because... Uh, it's how do you choose it? It's like, it, do you choose something purely based on how it looks or do you choose something based on uh, the actual meaning of the character? And the problem is that if you only choose based on how it looks, some of them just don't look like anything or it's very hard to come up with something that it looks like. So if you can use the ancient Greek linking method and go, okay, it doesn't look like anything, but it means... Uh, you know, daybreak, what do I associate with daybreak? Well, I associate rooster with daybreak. Well, you've got the uh, props for sun and prop for razor blade that you're reviewing. You've got the character card for daybreak that you're reviewing that'll say daybreak done. And you'll write on the, uh, you'll actually practice writing the sun with the razor blade below it, right? And that's a, that's a uh, flashcard there. And then you've got the flashcard for the prop itself. And so then you're going to use that prop in future characters. 
And so like you have several moments where you're going to get a chance to practice it. And then you're going to start using uh, that character in words. And then that, those words are going to show up in sentences. And then those sentences are going to show up in paragraphs. And those paragraphs are going to show up in stories through phases one, two, three, four, and five. So the point just being that uh, you're going to have so many opportunities to solidify this knowledge that that little extra abstraction step is, you know, I mean, I get why you're concerned about it. You're like, am I going to forget all these props? But rest assured, as you continue moving forward, those props are just going to solidify even further to the point where you probably won't even feel like you need the prop Anki card. You can just remember the props via the uh, make a movie cards. So Anyway, I hope that was helpful. Uh, obviously, I recognize that this is an email that is expressing sort of a feeling of despondence. And that's the main thing I hope you take out of my response here, Brad, is that the feeling of despondence almost always precedes breakthrough. So keep it up. And uh, if you're still having trouble in, say, by let's say by the end of the videos, which is character 105, if you're still having trouble then, feel free to write back in and I'll be happy to uh, talk about this at further length. So thank you very much, Brad. Okay, so let's move on to the pick of props that we had this week. Lots of prop suggestions. And so this is perfect to talk about right after uh, Brad's email, because of course, this goes to show how many possible things you could uh, associate with the various uh, random squiggles that come from Chinese characters. All right, so again, this is taking the character components and coming up with a 3D object to represent them, suggestions that came in. So William Edmides on picking a prop for either, it's either gun or gun, um, depending on which meaning it is. And he says, I'm gonna go with a sledgehammer, but James Blunt would be another good choice because this character means blunt, like a blunt object. And actually when it means blunt, it's pronounced gun third tone. Uh, it's a doyenzi, but it's also not a very common character. It's just, it's mostly important for this particular prop that we're picking here. And James Blunt's a good one because it's actually his name. And so you can imagine that guy, or you can imagine a blunt object. Now, uh, James Blunt and the blunt object don't look like this particular character. It might actually, <laughs> a blunt object might look like this uh, component, but still, they don't look like it. But you'll still remember because this character component comes in several different characters. So you're going to have, say, James Blunt in several different movie scenes. And, you know, your brain's not that dumb. It can start to figure out and make the association. James Blunt equals me moving my hand on the page and creating these squiggles, right? So, so long as you do the flashcards, it'll become clearer and clearer. Also, um, by the way, anybody who's listening to this who uh, felt like Brad did in that email, but then uh, got over it and like realized, oh, I do remember all the props, uh, feel free to write in. We'll be happy to talk about that next week. And you know, you can maybe give Brad some advice as well. Um, cool. So next, Chad on pick a prop for Yen, which is the um, component meaning literature or uh, various books of literature. And he picked the Geneva Bible. Sure. The most, uh, the Bible's the most referenced piece of literature ever in uh, human history. William Edmides on pick a prop for uh, Bao. Well, actually, it's um, the middle component of Bao. And this is kind of a combination of the stick component and the pincer component. So if you, you can see in the show notes. And he says, um, 
it looks like half of the fork weapon that Raphael used in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I'm going to use him as a prop. And I like that. So that's perfect. It's a, you find something that specific and it even looks like it. So if it looks like it, it's even easier. Um, yeah, and it was sort of like a fork weapon. Um, Will Henry on pick a prop for show. I'm thinking of Mr. Potato Head for this prop because show means uh, head. It's like usually used in the context of like head of a company or something or the head of the state or whatever. But um, the <laughs> nonetheless, though, it means head and you can make that simple link to move to um, the idea of an actual head like Mr. Potato Head. Next, we have William on pick a prop for the roof component, which actually is pronounced mian, but it doesn't matter. But that's what it's that's how it's pronounced. But this is the roof component. And so he said, I'm going to go with one of those Australian hats with the corks hanging from it. I don't know that I've ever uh, I probably I've probably seen it before. I just can't think of it right now. But we suggested the idea of maybe having a hat that's actually a roof. Um, and I guess that maybe um, these Australian hats with the corks hanging from it, as long as it's clearly distinct from another prop that might be similar, another type of hat, uh, then it's fine. I mean, hey, it doesn't have to be a roof. Like it can, as long as you remember it, all that has to happen is you remember it. And actually this, this char character component looks so much like a roof that it's not really a big deal. All right, Abigail and pick a prop for Zoe. She picked John Cleese. The Ministry of Silly Walks. Yes, yes, great, perfect. I remember that scene, and I've barely even seen that, um, the Monty Python Flying Circus. I've seen clips of it, but I mostly just saw the movies, but I still remember that scene. That's, that's the ultimate cultural trope, right? Because even though I, I don't even know that I can detect that I definitely saw that scene by itself. I saw it in commercials. I saw it in some other context because it was such an iconic moment where he's doing those silly walks around the room. I remember him holding a briefcase, I believe. And so John Cleese is perfect for that. Awesome, awesome choice. All right, Chad Wrestler on pick a prop for, uh, this one is kind of like, it looks sort of like an X actually. And uh, he picked uh, hedge clippers and that's actually what they look like. So perfect. Perfectly fine. Hedge clippers are, are easy to imagine, and of course, they could, they could maybe do something violent with them, and violence is very memorable. Okay, Chad Wrestler on pick a prop for one, which usually stands for literature or uh, culture, and he picked the last emperor of China, a guy named Pu Yi, and uh, he has a very iconic look about him, and I, so I guess he's going for the cultural side of that a bit more. I mean, emperors are a big part of Chinese culture, and he was the last one, so... Uh, a last vestige of an aspect of ancient Chinese culture. Uh, Will Henry on pick a prop for Chang, which means uh, a factory. He said, prop, I will put a hard hat on my main actor. Simple. That's what people do in factories. No problem. Um, Connor Griffith on pick a prop for, uh, this is either Ko or the pen. Let's see. If you like anime, uh, Berserk Behelet, Egg of the King. Uh, well, I don't know anime, and I don't know that particular character, so I'm just going to have to take your word for it. And I like that because if the connection works for you, then it's not going to always be something that is totally uh, known to, you know, the, the masses. Like a super cultural trope might be something like, who's Darth Vader? You know, you may not have seen Star Wars, you may not have, but it permeated the culture so much. But there's subcultures, and if you're in the anime subculture, this might be clear as day to you. Next, we have Will Henry on pick a prop for the, this is the food component. Uh, it's not, um, it's like the left side component when there's a character that relates to food. And he says the prop is um, 
a giant bib tied around the neck of the actor. So Will seems to like the idea of modifying the actor somehow, and I like it too because it's simple. And so you might forget the prop if it doesn't get involved. So like if you have a scene with the actor with the giant bib on them and there's nothing that splatters all over the bib or it doesn't get involved, you might forget it. So you might want to just do something to the bib to make it outrageous and unmissable. Maybe it's a giant bib and the actor can barely walk because the bib is uh, kind of keeping them from... Uh, kind of like the cones on animal heads uh, that they put around animals' heads after they've had surgery so they don't lick their wounds. Um, okay, next we have Will Henry on the pick-a-prop for... This is the one that has uh, the person component and the razor blade component on it uh, together. And he said, this looks like someone running on a treadmill, so I'll choose the exercise guru, Richard Simmons. <laughs> sure, I can see that because you got the flat line in the bottom and the two legs, so could look like somebody running on a treadmill. And uh, see, that's a perfect link. Running on a treadmill reminds me of fitness. Fitness reminds me of instructors. Instructors are the most iconic one, the guru, Richard Simmons. And so why not? Perfect. Um, let's see. Makai Albert on pick a prop for Luh. Looks like a cloth hanger to me when turned upside down. And uh, yeah, sure does. I've never done that before. Try turning the props upside down. See if it looks like something. Hey, Brad, from the email, if, um, if you're not so keen on picking props based on the meaning, try flipping them upside down. Maybe it'll look like something then. Um, of course, that'll get your positioning confused maybe. But nonetheless, though, uh, that's another option you have. I've never considered that before. Yeah, when you flip look around, at least in this particular font, it looks like a clothes hanger with the, with the side missing, one side missing. But it sure, it sure does. Wow. Thanks, Makai. All right. Julian Laffey on pick a prop for Tin. Cousin It from the Adams family. Sure. He's a relative and <laughs> very iconic looking cousin It. Um, and that's what Tin means. It means relative. And also, by the way, like when you say, I don't know if this is just an American thing, but when I say the word relatives, I don't tend to say relatives when I'm referring to my direct family. I tend to say it when I'm referring to aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff. Like, you know, it's not that my mom and dad and sister aren't my relatives of course they are but it's just i tend to not refer to them that way uh my extended relatives that's what i tend to say when it comes to cousins and of course it's cousin it so perfect there william on pick a prop for she anyone from the twilight cast will do because this prop means evening sure twilight that's what happens in the evening good good connection there william next we have julian laffey on the pick a prop lesson for uh, the character Nye, which uh, kind of looks a little bit, could look like maybe somebody's making a fist, uh, but he actually chose the prop based on the meaning, which is uh, thus. This is not a very common character, but again, just like Gun that we talked about earlier, it's a major component in lots of other very common characters. So uh, he went with the monolith from 2001 a space odyssey because the theme in 2001 a space odyssey was thus spoke zarathustra which is a very very famous uh, orchestral tune and so thus is in the name of that song he associates that with 2001 a space odyssey which means that he can think of the monolith easy simple connections to his personal life that make him right on the page the correct component and uh, so Awesome stuff. All right, so that's all our props for this week, and I hope that, um, you know, for uh, anybody who feels similarly to how Brad felt about the uh, particular 
choosing of props that that might have been a bit helpful to you to see that, you know, especially Julian on that last one, Julian's in level 34 right now. So that means that he's, you know, almost to 592 characters and he's clearly making several abstract leaps, but not finding it to be slowing him down or non-memorable. So uh, hopefully that will be some inspiration to those of you feeling similarly as I did. A couple of new actor suggestions this week. Jennifer Koch on casting call for U. She said, okay, this category was really hard for me at first. I now decide to go for Pokemon or Pokemon gym leaders. I think that that has something to do with Pokemon Go maybe. Um, for U, I chose Pyro, who is called Blaine in the English version. But as a German, he is the perfect actor for me. Okay, great. So always use your native language if it's not English. If you can find a way to make connection totally, sound mnemonics from your native language are perfectly valid. And then also uh, choosing a category like Pokemon is perfect for this category because all you have is only those six pronunciations, only those six actors. That means you can just switch the category if you want. We suggest mythical gods or world leaders. Some people do Harry Potter characters. Some people do Pokemon. Just as long as it's a clearly defined category that you can draw a border around and go, if I see this, it means U and not U, then you're fine. So that's pretty much uh, how that works. So that's good, good suggestion there. Ryan Smith on the casting call for Chu, which is the 51st one, um, which also, just as a, a side point, uh, the 51st actor gets... Gets introduced quite late into the method. It's you know around uh, three hundred character three hundred something, and it's because it just doesn't come up before that uh, in any of the particular pronunciations. Which means that you don't have to just choose fifty five real or fake faces all at once. You choose them when they're necessary, and then that gives you a, an opportunity to solidify them. And that's a bit of a response to one of the things that Brad said that I didn't address earlier. This theme is, this podcast is like the theme of Brad, Brad's email. All right, next we have one set suggestion from Connor Griffith. So this is the set for OU. And he said, rather than a check, than checkout, I chose takeout for when I was working at a food delivery place. So the OU set, of course, we, we put as one of our words, checkout, but we could have put takeout. And the reason why is because out has OU in it. He sees the word takeout that makes him, think, makes him think of when he worked for a food delivery place. And, of course, you can just imagine the building where you worked at that uh, food delivery place. And that will associate with the pinyin letters OU, which isn't random because OU is something you need to say all the time in Chinese. Um, and so that's pretty key to make a clear connection there. And that's awesome. Takeout. Nice. All right. So we had a bunch of movie shares this week. First, William for the make a movie for one, which means to play. He said, I've got Woody from Toy Story representing WU in the kitchen, second tone of my AN set with the following props, King from Tekken and Shrek's Outhouse from the beginning of the movie Shrek. Song in the background, All Star by Smash Mouth, which was, of course was in the movie uh, Shrek. King is inside the outhouse in the kitchen and suddenly slams open the door. In time, with the body lyric, just like Shrek does, uh, looking a bit bored, he looks around for something to do. King then notices a giant Woody doll sitting on the bench and starts playing with it. The lyrics, 
Get your game on. Go play. I heard in the background. I remember that. So, yeah, absolutely. And it's so great when a song associates with a movie and then has a lyric like go play. That's like one of those perfect serendipitous. You, your actor was Shrek. In the movie Shrek, they have the all-star song playing, and they literally say go play. Uh, so that's great. Perfect. Excellent. And, of course, Woody is a, Woody is, um, you know, a doll. He's a toy. It's great. Excellent. All right. So, Ija on Make a Movie for Chiu. Uh The keyword is to request. Her actor is Kim Kardashian, representing QI. The set is the Alfred Hospital. Um, and her uh, props are a razor blade, snowflakes, and a drop. Or a dropper of some sort. Or perhaps just a drop of water. Melbourne has its worst winter in years, and Kim Kardashian, who was having a holiday there, had to be hospitalized at the Alfred for having a cold for two weeks. She was in the lobby checking in, writing on the special request form. She wanted to be in a single room with a sculpture of a snowflake as seasonal decoration. (laughs) The receptionist then took a bunch of snow from outside scrunched them all up and began to carve meticulously using a razor blade. <laughs> then She then uses the eyedropper to drop special blue dyed chemicals on the sculpture for it to not melt too fast. Unfortunately, the hospital didn't have any single rooms available, so Kim began to create a scene. Just then, the hospital lab gave her the good news. She has influenza. <laughs> he, just, he just got a little bit of a dark sense of humor. <laughs> They gave her the good news. She has influenza. Um, She was then sent to the infectious disease isolation room with her special snowflake sculpture being totally isolated, just as she requested. Okay, so this scene is obviously a bit, like, you probably don't need to do this much in a scene, but I think Ija's just having fun now. She's been getting so good at these. And uh, each of the props is very clear. So, hey, Sometimes when you sit down for these scenes, it just you just want to get silly, you know, just get silly and um, have a good time with it. Like, you know, one of the things that I felt might be the case, because the theme of this uh, podcast is Brad's email. One of the things that I thought might be the case uh, with how Brad was thinking about th- is, is thinking about things is that it's, it might get a little bit too academic. And this is exactly how I think. I tend to be a little bit like, OK, but I need to learn this many props and am I really going to learn them this way and I mean how am I going to remember the movies because the props are abstracted uh, and they don't look like the characters in the page all of that is sort of abstract thinking about the process as opposed to just relaxing following the rules of the process and then within those constraints just having a good time I mean there's so many ridiculous scenarios that are going to come up you know why is Arnold Schwarzenegger in the band room of your high school and why is there a badger and a spoon there like it's so silly and you can have a great time with it and of course Kim Kardashian's personality comes out in this scene Uh, you have uh, she's in a hospital so it makes sense that she's ill and that she would have some requests for her room Obviously, request comes across very abstract here, but the way that EJ got around that is just by having fun, just by having fun with the silly, ridiculous situation uh, that the uh, method naturally creates. All right, next, another one from EJ. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, this is um, the make a movie for show, and the keyword for show is to be subjected to. And the reason we chose this is because there's another character, show, uh, that just incidentally has a similar pronunciation, and they both sort of mean to receive, 
but show is often a bit more proactive or at least neutral, whereas show is kind of like you're receiving it unwillingly or at least um, it's not you're not the cause of it. And so a very common word that people will say is shobliao, shobliao. And that means I can't take it anymore. That means I just can't take it anymore. I remember this girl at a um, jam session that I was at about five years ago. Uh, everybody was smoking inside because it's not banned in China. And uh, the music was really loud. And I was standing outside the entrance to the, um, to the bar where the jam session was. And she came out and she just was like, shobliao. Because she couldn't take the smoke and the band, you know, music, the sound a anymore. And so, um, you know, that's an example of being subjected to something. So that's the key word, to be subjected to. Her actor is Sean Connery for SH. The set is the Alfred Hospital again, her OU set, just like it was for Tio. And here we have Shou. And then the props are a bald eagle, a crown, and Alexander Hamilton, perfect, all right. <laughs> After losing the Battle of Yorktown, King George III sent Sean Connery as a British spy to a neutral location to start peace negotiations with the US. The US was represented by Alexander Hamilton and they both met at the backyard of the Alfred Hospital. <laughs> I just love imagining this scenario. Okay, standing facing each other about two meters apart, Sean Connery, wearing a crown, then said, as the messenger of the king, he would now like to concede the war to the U.S. and will be no long and and the U.S. will no longer be subjected to British rule. Be subjected to British rule. A bald eagle then flew by, <laughs> grabbed the crown on top of Sean Connery's head, and dropped it on top of Alexander Hamilton's head, symbolically transferring power between the two parties. Perhaps I'll see you in Paris, Sean said. Hamilton smiled. Perhaps. And then she pointed out, she has a little asterisk here, and she says, subject to the Federalist Party and the outcome of the next presidential election. <laughs> Eja knows her U.S. history. That is excellent and hilarious. I saw a bald eagle for the first time in person. Um, uh, which means I saw with my own eyes. So, Qin, we talked about that before, means relative. So it's almost like my eyes are related to me. So qin yan, kan. It's a, the difference between saying I saw a, a bald eagle on TV versus I saw it with my own eyes. Wo qin yan kan le. Um, uh, so yeah, and also bald eagles, lao ying, lao ying. Um, and so anyway, so that bald eagle coming in is... So it's like so, America, and here comes the crown to go. Although it's funny that it's a crown, and the crown goes on to Hamilton, who of course was a Federalist, and he didn't end up uh, gaining the reins of power. <laughs> That's a great movie. All right, next we have Chad on Make a Movie for One, and this is his girlfriend's apartment because it's E-N. His actor is Wolverine, representing W-U. The props are a top hat and hedge clippers. My girlfriend and I are in the kitchen of her apartment cooking dinner together, and I look outside to see Wolverine in a top hat <laughs> using a set of hedge clippers to cut the lawn. <laughs> I ask my girlfriend what is going on, and she tells me that she just hired Wolverine to take care of her lawn. I ask why he doesn't just use a lawnmower like everyone else. She tells me that it's part of his culture to use hedge clippers instead of a lawnmower and she says that everyone in the marvel marvel culture uses hedge clippers to cut their lawns so perfect um and also you might want to 
expand that story a little bit, Chad, by suggesting, because of course Wolverine's got the blades that come out of his hands, so you can say he start, maybe he started the culture by originally cutting the grass with his own uh, you know, razor blade, uh, three-pronged razor blades that come out of his hands, and... <laughs> And he just uses clippers sometimes to, you know, save the energy or whatever, whatever the reasoning is, because that sort of fits um, because of Wolverine's character. Perfect. I love it. Uh, everything's very clear there, too. William Medmides on make a movie for Sway, which means casual. So she's so for Sway, casual, I've got Stewie Griffin representing SU in the kitchen of his EI set. With the following props, a giant toothbrush, left side prop, the red carpet, the bottom prop, and the doll Annabelle from The Conjuring. So she must have been possessed because this is the representation of yol, which means to possess. Upon casually entering the kitchen in the middle of the night in his pajamas, Stewie, clutching his toothbrush, turns the light on and notices that Annabelle is sitting on a red carpet right before him. He shrugs his shoulders and stoically smashes the doll with the toothbrush, resulting in a casualty. <laughs> of course, that's a that's just a homophone and it's not the same meaning of this character, but it works. It's a secondary like, you know, sound mnemonic connection that he can make there. And of course, the fact that Louis uh, Stewie is so casual while this whole scene that normally would scare the crap out of people is happening uh, makes it adds an element of humor to the whole thing and a humor always adds memorability. William on make a movie for Z. So this is the character meaning letter. I've got Mark Zuckerberg representing Z in the bathroom of my childhood home. That's the, because uh, Z doesn't have any kind of uh, final. So uh, that means it takes place in the childhood home and fourth tones in the bathroom. So there's Mark Zuckerberg in the bathroom of William's childhood home with the following press. Macaulay Culkin representing the child and an Australian cork cat representing the roof bit. Mark is standing mindlessly in the bathroom when a letter slips underneath the door. <laughs> Intrigued, he picks it up and uses one of his lizard claws to open it. <laughs> so, of course, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg is not a human. He's one of the lizard people. Um, suddenly, out comes Macaulay Culkin in a cork hat. So, you know, obviously Macaulay Culkin coming in in the cork hat is a bit random at the end, but... <laughs> It's such a silly scene to start off with. And also bear in mind that letter, the usage of letter that um, uh, William uses here is a um, English, what is it, homonym? I always get these wrong. It's a, where it's the same uh, word, but it's uh, a different meaning. And so it's not like a letter like you write somebody a letter. It's like a letter, like an alphabet letter on the page. But of course they're somewhat related already. But still, those types of uh, English meanings that have an alternate meaning in English and you just associate the alternate meaning to the actual meaning, it's no problem because you're going to see in the context of Chinese so much that you'll get. It doesn't mean a letter that you write. It means a letter on the page. But the mnemonic scene helped you remember the character components and how it's pronounced. So that's perfect. I would just say that Macaulay Culkin walking in at the end with the uh, cork hat it doesn't interact enough in the scene, I don't think. So if you forget it, that's probably why. If you forget the props, that's probably why. Uh, okay, Chad on make a movie for which means this. All right, location, father-in-law, Ed's house in the backyard. Ed for E, sure. Actor Joey, his brother-in-law, and that's Joey is like the Z-H at the beginning of And then props, 
Road and Emperor Pui. Uh, so that's the, uh, we talked about that earlier. That's the final emperor of China. Okay. We are all down at my father-in-law's house shooting a commercial for the Mandarin Blueprint. My brother-in-law, Joey, is the client in the commercial and Emperor Pui is standing on a road. The commercial begins by saying that the road to Mandarin fluency is long. My brother-in-law then walks up to Pui and says, how can I travel along this road? Puyi holds up a laptop, and you see the Mandarin Blueprint website displayed. Puyi smiles and says, with this. <laughs> I think that that's, uh, I mean, this is an abstract concept, so it's like you got to come up with something a bit more, um, <laughs> a bit more memorable from there. That's, that's a great, that, that scene's hilarious. And um, I really appreciate how much Chad has been uh, supporting of Mandarin Blueprint. He actually made Mandarin Blueprint shirts. He's going to send them to us. So uh, hopefully I'll be wearing one of those in a future podcast episode. Uh, love that scene. Okay, William on Make a Movie for Bao, which means treasure. So he's got Bruno Mars representing B in the bedroom of his AO set. Got his third tone in the bedroom, and AO is the final. The following props, he's got the Australian cork hat and the giant greenstone necklace representing U, which means jade, so the greenstone necklace. Bruno's standing in the bedroom when he sees a giant greenstone necklace and an Australian cork hat. Curious, he puts on the necklace first, and then the hat. Suddenly, he feels the urge to dance, and the way he does in the song Treasure, the room then transforms into the set for the music video, complete with backup dancers, lights, and everything. So Bruno Mars sings a song called Treasure? I never knew that, but perfect. Like, that's exactly what you would want. And I like that idea. So he comes in there, and he's cool. Like, you know, he's got fashion, and he, he sees this greenstone necklace and an Australian cork hat. I <laughs> like the, the sort of juxtaposition of those two very different styles. And, uh, <laughs> and he goes, I'm going to just set a new trend and realize that this is all treasure. And he put, you put on the song, and you've got it. No doubt you're going to um, remember that scene. Perfect. All right. Julian Laffey on the make a movie for tie, which means to accept. It can also mean to catch, like catch a uh, baseball or something. Um, but And it can also mean to pick somebody up at, like, the airport. It's the opposite of song in that case. Song would mean to, like, uh, drop somebody off at the airport, and then tie would be to pick them up. But it also means – and but that all sort of surrounds the concept of to accept – um, and so he said, the first thing I think of is someone tearfully accepting an award like the Oscars. Perfect. So if you can so put that into your scene. It's not a scene. He's just sharing a, a, a keyword connection. So now uh, Ija on make a movie for fan. So the keyword here is annoying. The actor is Freddie Mercury. Her, the set is her anatomy lab. Uh, that makes sense. Anatomy, fan, and the props are the Olympic torch representing fire and a page torn from a book representing the right side component, which means page. Freddie Mercury was meticulously writing songs at the in the hallway of my anatomy lab, enjoying the peace and quiet that he needed in order to concentrate. Suddenly, <laughs> Rami Malek entered the room, holding an Olympic torch in one hand and a script book in another, practicing We Are the Champions out loud. He was surprised to see Freddie in the room, explained that he's playing him in a movie, and kept on asking him to correct his singing. <laughs> Freddie was annoyed with the fact that an actor who couldn't carry a tune was being paid to play a fake version of himself. 
Raimi continued to sing off-key, slightly off-beat, driving Freddy up the wall. Freddy then snatched the script book from Raimi's hand, tore out a few pages, and set them on fire using the Olympic torch. Raimi, scared, quickly left the scene, and Freddy went back to writing. He then reflected on what just happened. It was so bizarre that he wondered if it was real life or just fantasy. <laughs> Egypt. Egypt. What a scene. <laughs> is this a real life or is this just fancy? My goodness. I can't, I don't even, can I make any comments? That was the best hands of movie method scene I've ever seen. That was awesome. Rami Malek coming in. <laughs> oh my God. And of course, at Freddie Mercury is annoyed. He would be annoyed. Oh, that's great. Another Egypt movie. This is great. Every time I see that Egypt's uh, submitted one, I'm just like, oh, what's coming next? All right, so... This is for the character Zuo, which means to compose. And um, the actor is Zazu from The Lion King. Sure, Z-U, Zazu from The Lion King. Her set is her other house. And uh, the props are Jason Momoa, who's, okay, yeah, sure, that's her person prop. And, of course, it's pretty, pretty uh, manly man, so that makes sense. And a saw, because that's how the right side component looks. Looks like a saw. All right. Zazu was accompanying Jason Momoa at the backyard of my other house, giving him advice on how to write songs for the character Zul <laughs> in the Mandarin Blueprint Method. Oh, this is getting meta. Jason, holding a saw for inspiration, was humming along, then suddenly burst out laughing. Zazu, perplexed, then asked, Why the laugh, sire? Jason said, I wanted to compose a song with either the suggested props of a saw or my ex-wife, my first love. I accidentally ended up writing something that could mean both. Zazu then asked, oh, what's the title of the song? The title is, The First Time I Ever Saw Your Face. <laughs> this obviously, like, EJ is having so much fun with this that it's, like, outrageous. Please, nobody think that you have to go to this level of detail. But <laughs> just the idea that she's gotten so meta that Jason Momoa is trying to come up with his own version of a mnemonic scene and laughs because of a double meaning of the word saw and how it can mean either to see someone or to saw their face. And it's just like, wow, that is some well-done you know, what Ija's really good at is making sure that she's making all the possible connections to these different words that she can uh, and just going, saw, well, that has two meanings. It's not just the meaning of like a, to, a, a, a saw. It's also the past tense of to see. So it's, it's great stuff, great stuff all around. All right, another one from Ija for Yao. First of all, she says to William, uh, I really, really, really love your prop of a boombox for C and went to create a story for this character. I originally didn't create one because I knew the character already, but the inspiration came in because of your prop suggestion, and I'll share it here to inspire others. So, yeah, the character Yao is pretty common, so I'm not surprised that Ija already knew it, but, uh, of course, the boombox idea uh, is something that William came up with and she was inspired by and hopes to pay forward that inspiration. All right, so the key word is to want. The actor for her is Adina Menzel. She was mine as well. Uh, the set was her AO uh, house. So I guess it's, uh, she's just saying that one of her houses is AO because house, owl, sounds like it. And then the props of the boombox and a pink top, which is the female component. Idina, still in the bathroom of my AO house, had an idea. 
since ABBA already had has its Mamma Mia musical and Queen has We Will Rock You, she wanted to do the same for the Spice Girls. <laughs> I like where this is going. She then put on a pink top to play Baby Spice, carried a boombox on her shoulder, and started to tell the story from A to Z. <laughs> Spice Girls was so popular when I, I was a kid that I actually know what she's, what she's referring to there. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. She didn't go wasting her precious time and quickly got her act together so she could just be fine. <laughs> I love how she's actually like, <laughs> like acting out the story of the lyrics of the Spice Girls song. P.S. Little that she knew, Spice Girls already had a Viva Forever musical that flopped on the West End. <laughs> Man, Ija really knows. Uh, really, Ija's very uh, internationally knowledgeable. She knows American history, and she knows a uh, uh, London theater uh, box office numbers. Well done, Ija. <laughs> All right, cool. Next, Ija on Make a Movie for Guy. Like, Ija can write in however many she wants. I just, I'll always be happy to <laughs> read these. Okay, just a simple scene of George Clooney standing outside the entrance of Ikea. Uh, Ikea, so that's the I sound in Guy, and George Clooney represents the G. Uh, holding a megaphone and a dozen eggs. Oh, right, yeah, so those are going to be his two props. Telling people they should be buying organic, free-range eggs instead of caged eggs. And, of course, George Clooney would be doing that. He's, a, you know, an actor, a Hollywood actor. <laughs> if you guys have ever seen uh, Team America, they do a great job of uh, uh, making fun of Hollywood actors. It's a great uh, section of that movie. All right, next, just some miscellaneous questions that came in. question from Abigail the, on the new vocabulary unlocked for Tsilai. In the first sentence, I know tu means sentence, but tu hua in Google Translate means word. Can they mean both? Can they both mean sentence? What's the difference? So, first of all, this is an example of where Google Translate doesn't do. I mean, Google Translate is still not perfect. It's uh, especially with English to Chinese and Chinese to English because translation between the two languages is quite tricky because it's conceptual a lot of times. It often doesn't. Uh, it doesn't translate perfectly. And the fact is that th what's happening here is that Abigail is breaking down the sentence a little bit incorrectly because she's looking at tu hua, but she should be seeing yi tu hua, which is, means one sentence. And tu is acting as a measure word. So there's different types of hua or speech. One type of speech might be yi duan hua, which would mean a paragraph of speech or text. So the president spoke uh, you know, a few words or whatever, they might say, uh, just meaning he said, he said a few words, right? Or he said a, a section of words or a paragraph of words. The problem is it doesn't tend to translate so perfectly. Just means how much was it? It was one sentence worth or two sentence worth. Right? So if you want to think of it that way, you can see tu as being like a measure word. Now, obviously, it can be in a word like uh, which isn't a measure word. That's like talking about sentences in the abstract. But if you're talking about hua, you're saying, well, how much hua was there? There was e one, tu sentence, one sentence of speech. So that's how you should think of that uh, way of seeing tu in that sentence. Abigail on It's a Word for Zuo asks, how can you tell that 我是坐车来的 
is past tense. Could it mean I am coming by car? Well, the way, no, it couldn't mean I am coming by car. It is past tense. And the way you know is the shirt and du. So with any shirt, du construction and whatever's in between, what's happening is that you're explaining a particular point about some kind of past action, usually. I mean, it is possible you could be speculating into the future, but most of what you're ever going to see with this is that uh, it's a, an explanation of a point about a past action. So let's suppose that instead of I came by car, we said I came by car yesterday. So 我昨天是坐车来的. That would mean it, I went by car yesterday. You're emphasizing the 是坐车来的. And the reason why that's emphasized is because if you came by car, then uh, it, you could be emphasizing that it was yesterday you came by car. So if I change the sentence by just moving the 是, if I say 我是昨天坐车来的, that would mean it was yesterday that I came by car. So somebody says, oh, uh, but two days ago uh, you parked over there. And you say, oh, no, no, it was yesterday that I came by car, not two days ago. And if that translation would be 我是昨天坐车来的, right? Whereas um, if it were, if the emphasis was that I came by car, and we're just talking about yesterday already, but you're trying to emphasize that you came by car, it's 我昨天是坐车来的, right? And then you're getting the point across that it wasn't by bike, it wasn't by uh, walking that I came, it was by car. And uh, the first, the when you put the sure before yesterday, it's like, it's not today, it wasn't two days ago, it was yesterday that I came by car. So look out for that with the sure construction. Great question, Abigail. William and Meadies on new vocabulary unlocked for bao bao. Hey guys, just clarifying for bao bao chifanmei, has the baby eaten? Is it supposed to be mei or ma? Or can they be used interchangeably? Uh, they can be used interchangeably. You can end a sentence with uh, mei or meil. And it's the same, uh, effectively it's the same thing as saying ma. Because ma is saying yes or no and meio is saying yes or no. So it's like basically you're putting forward an idea like has or not has. And again, you can always uh, turn meio just to mei. And so it's very spoken to speak like that. You know, you go up to your friend, you know, it's kind of like throw it in there at the end. It's very spoken. It's not so, um, you know, uh, ma is also spoken, of course, but it's a little bit less casual. Let's put it that way. So uh, putting the may at the end is pretty casual. Abigail, a new vocabulary unlocked. 不过, in the final sentence, what is the difference between jarda and jar? Do they both mean here? Well, uh, let me take a look at the sentence again, but I, my initial instinct is to say, uh, what is the difference between jarda and jar? So if the du is there, there's almost definitely an omitted possession of some something. So, uh, you know, this microphone belongs to here. Like there's a concept called here, which is the studio. And, uh, the things in the studio belong to the studio in Chinese. That's how you might think of it. It's like, And I might say, Right? And that would mean like it's, it belongs here. And whereas by itself is just 
here. It's just saying here by itself. But if you have jarred the, um, it's likely indicating possession, or it's in some other kind of grammatical uh, construction that is larger uh, on the level of the sentence. But in all likelihood, there's just some omitted possession. So I could say, but you don't need to say twice. So I could just say, well, why do I have to say twice if I'm saying it's my uh, microphone? Why would I have to say it twice? There's no need. You can just omit it the second time. Uh, so that's usually what you'll find with duh if it's, uh, there's nothing after it. Okay, we're going to end with three comments from Garth Grescue because Garth leaves some of the most interesting comments that make me always go like, wow, this guy is a thinker. <laughs> so Garth says, on the bonus stroke order for rule 7 of 12, he says, I'm an adult educator, and Luke's presence here is a model for authority, equanimity, compassion, and customer service when delivering important lessons to unruly students. You guys are so unruly out there in the internet. No, you're fine. You're great. Um, I love the great compliment to Luke. Luke is a very excellent teacher, very composed, very uh, authoritative, and he sh you should listen to him. He really knows what he's talking about, unlike yours truly, so full of nonsense. Garth Grescue on bonus, none of us are bad at languages. Work with your brains. This is a bonus video on the Mandarin Bluebird method. Glad to acquire a good understanding of the difference between learning and acquisition of knowledge. It sounds to me like a great big difference that makes a difference. Nothing wrong with trashing the monastic approach to teaching and learning that is still promoted by the universities worldwide and to, and to ensure their exclusive brand value. I'm with Luke. I'd rather just get the joke than understand how it works, which is the point that Luke made, which is the idea that you don't need to understand why the language you're communicating works. You just, it just needs to work. And that's kind of how uh, the analysis paralysis that can come from analyzing grammar in the same way that if you analyze how a joke works, uh, you might figure it out, but you can still laugh whether or not you understand the mechanics of how the joke worked. Maybe the artificial intelligence researchers want to understand how the joke works, but who needs thinking machines anyway? <laughs> Love it, Garth. And then another one from Garth on set the scene for EI 9 of 13. The Hansa movie method is a method for creating my own methodology based on the significant cultural memory of my personal life. And that's big. I like that. Just like cultural mythology, my own personal mythology requires neither technological nor empirical possibility to be meaningful. Though, as Phil and Luke mentioned, logical possibility is important so the mind can create a composition and link all the objects. So this, I actually love this comment because it's so relevant to what uh, Brad said in his email. It's the Brad email podcast. But just like cultural mythology, my own personal mythology requires neither technological nor empirical possibility to be meaningful. So this is what I was saying about how the meaning that gets derived through this method is not random. It's derived from two very clear sources of human observation. One is the language of Chinese uh, and one is your own personal cultural uh, mythology, as uh, Garth puts it here. So. I love that uh, contribution that you made, Garth. And uh, this was a great, fun podcast today, guys. I, I love this stuff. You guys are really uh, sending in some great stuff. Um, 
keep it up. And as always, you can follow us on our various social media platforms if you're not already. Uh, we're trying to get more and more people interested in the Mandarin Blueprint method. So, you know, please share it around and we'll see all of you very soon uh, on the course. And we have some new, interesting and fun expansions on the way. Keep a lookout for those. I'm Phil Crimmins. This is the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. See you later.